And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck him up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not gonna sing this time around. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender, and with me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. So last week we decided to rank Tarantino's 10 feature films. We decided to go in order of which the films were produced and rank them accordingly. So this list actually begins with Reservoir Dogs back in 1992, and we made it all the way to 2004 with Kill Bill Volume 2. Of course, we still have five more to go, and those are Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, The Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We would love to hear your ranking order for Tarantino films, so please share them with us on Twitter at dbcrazypod at your earliest convenience. Next week, we will return to our regular single film format. We hope you enjoy the show, and thank you for listening. You are the best. Um, let's see. Moving along in our little time machine here. Death Proof, 2007. This was part of the Grindhouse gimmick, and... Um, I'm shocked that I didn't think of this the other day. Like a week ago on the Geek Legacy podcast, we were talking about theater gimmicks, and the last one that I remembered was the Matrix uh, Revolutions playing at the same time across the world. And that was the last theater gimmick I could remember, but I do think that the Grindhouse movies count as a theater gimmick, and those being... um, uh, Planet Terror, I think, was the first one, and then Death Proof being the second, uh, lumped together, which was a pretty fun cinematic experience if you watched them both back to back. I think that's a, a fun thing to do, sort of an homage to this era of of crazy, zany slasher movie type genre. <laughs> Grindhouse is a dirty, dirty, dirty genre of film, and uh, in the case of Death Proof. Two separate sets of voluptuous women are stalked at different times by a scarred stuntman who uses his death-proof cars to execute his murderous plans. And it has my boyfriend and spirit animal, Mr. Kurt Russell, a stuntman, Mike. He likes nachos, too. Yes. And uh, this is where we actually get to meet Zoe Bell. Uh, You had mentioned the fight scenes in Kill Bill, which I'm pretty sure is just her kicking ass and taking names. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's riding on the hood of the car and being a uh, badass, and she's adorable and an absolute delight. And uh, it was definitely fun. The thing about this movie, though, is it's really, it's really creepy. Like, yeah, Kurt Russell kind of nails this whole serial killer stalker vibe a little too well. Totally, <laughs> it kind of grosses me out. <laughs> I don't like seeing my hero be a scumbag and uh, seeing him murder these women. It is it is rough. Uh, but just like any other Tarantino movie, there are some pretty fun uh, spouts of dialogue. But uh, for me, um, this one, it was was tough to rank. Yeah, um, I so actually I can probably say. Uh, fully that this was the first Tarantino movie that I saw in theaters. I know that sounds crazy, but I 
wasn't a gigantic fan of him until uh, I was a little bit older. So around this time, 2007. So that was two years after high school. So that kind of matches up to what I was saying before. But anyhow, I actually went to the Grindhouse uh, premiere like you were you were talking about. And it was so interesting. It was one of the most memorable theater experiences I've had because they played those fake trailers before the movie. And so we had the machete and then we had a movie uh, called Thanksgiving by Eli Roth, which I'm still holding out hope that they'll make. Uh, There was another one, too, and it was with uh, Rob Zombie's wife and it was like zombie strippers or something like that, Mm. which I think they made. But anyhow, it was really, really cool. And the whole experience of watching both Planet Terror and then Death Proof was it was a fun, fun experience. And I I really enjoyed it. but yeah, so that's when I saw it about 2007. So, um, but for my rank for it, I have Death Proof as number eight on my list. Uh, I actually have it as number ten, which is seems strange because Kurt Russell is like one of my favorite dudes ever. Um, it was just a different, it's a different kind of movie, and I, I definitely have to be in the right mindset to to enjoy it. Totally, I, I've probably watched it maybe, uh, I'd say five times. Uh, which is, uh, incidentally, the uh, lowest number of viewings for any <laughs> of uh, these Tarantino movies. Right. Yeah. Dude, it's so brutal at the end when they, like, kick his head in the ground. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. <laughs> and the, the music's really cool, too. So, actually, yeah. I actually yeah. this, this movie. I love the music. I love everything. Ab- everything about this movie is really fucking cool. Uh, it's just so gross and 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 just kind of dirty like the whole grindhouse thing like he nailed it right like i i am uncomfortable watching this movie and normally i'm okay with uh, with a, a, a mild level of discomfort but i think it's because it is so brutal and it looks so just absurd and and real at times and and just i feel like it could happen to anybody and so weird as as the concept is of him using his car to kill people just the very idea of meeting a stranger and then that within minutes or hours losing your life because of that creeper in a bar. Oh, <laughs> it just totally. seems way too real. And I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> totally. Totally. So yeah, it's, it's 10 for me. It's 10 for Dave. Um, it is 10 for, for Jerd, for Jeff. And um, it is nine for Ken Stoltz and for Mr. Rob. Um, he has not he hasn't, seen, he hasn't it. seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, crazy. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty low on most of our lists. Uh, I think you actually rank at the highest at eight, mm-hmm. uh, Ken at nine and then Jeff, Dave and myself at 10. I mean, I clearly know the most, so. Right. You do. <laughs> you got a perfect on a Tarantino quiz. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so sweet. Moving moving on to the next one. So we got Inglorious Bastards in 2009. So uh, in Nazi-occupied France during World War II, a plan to assassinate Nazi leaders by a group of Jewish U.S. soldiers coincides with a theater owner's vengeful plans for the same. I remember I saw this one in theaters, saw it with my cousin, and we were enamored from the get-go because you have that opening scene with Christoph Waltz, oh, and it was the so first weird. time, it was the first thing I'd ever seen him in. And I felt, talk about feeling uneasy. I mean, I sat in my seat and I was cringing just because this guy is so maniacal and I didn't really understand where he's going with with what he was saying and just the sheer act of him getting milk and drinking a glass of cow's milk was 
so creepy. I, I thought it was just brilliant and blown away by this film. And I remember what my my cousin said at the end of it. He's like, I think he's going to get an Academy Award for for best sure. actor or best supporting actor. And sure shit, he did. Uh, he was he's fantastic. Colonel Hans Landa. Yes. One of the Jewel best Hunter. <laughs> the best villains of all time. Yeah. And I think, uh, yes. So I saw it in 2009 in theaters and I couldn't get enough of it. I think I saw it again in theaters and I loved it. It's a long one, but uh, I still absolutely love this movie. What say you? Yeah, uh, same. I, I love this movie so much. And I was not prepared for the alternate history. Um, when it gets to the theater house and and Hitler shot in the face a thousand times. Oh. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that's how we're going to do this. Oh, my gosh. The whole movie was just crazy. And when Shoshana is laughing in the smoke on the screen when the house is on fire, that is just the coolest goddamn thing mm-hmm. ever. I mean, we, I was just talking about this last night on on um, on the Geek Legacy podcast. The the At Disneyland, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched the water show Fantasmic. But I'm a sucker for any kind of screening on a water wall. <laughs> and in this case, it was smoke. And it looked really, really, really cool. And I was 100% invested and on board. And and there are so many tense moments. Because uh, as far as scenes go, there aren't very many scenes in this movie. They're all mm-hmm. just really, really long scenes. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them are, are 12 minutes long. Some of them are, are even longer. And... Um, your your discomfort level is just through the roof, and and I think that that everyone is really good about playing a creeper, um, like Frederick Zoiler, right? The the sniper, uh, Daniel Bruhl, he is incredible as just this relentless creeper that just will not leave Shoshana alone, mm-hmm. and he's very proud of the work that he has done in WW two, and he is not afraid to talk about it. You know, he is his ego has been boosted by by the third Reich so high that he thinks he can do and, and say whatever he wants. And he's just gross and I'm tired of looking at him. And then, and then the whole bar scene with uh, major Hellstrom where, where we really get a, a really Ooh, good at, yeah. um, at um, fucking Magneto, Michael Fassbender, <laughs> uh, you know, we hadn't really seen him in a, in a whole lot of stuff prior to Inglorious bastards, at least to where he was a named person to where you knew who he was. Um, you know, you might have seen 300, um, but I, th- I honestly think that it was Inglorious Bastards that made you fall in love with this guy. You were just like, holy shit, dude. And then when when it all goes awry because he does three wrong um, and it just becomes a shit show in a, in a Mexican standoff. <laughs> uh, it's, I want to trust you, Aldo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good dude yeah um like brad pitt just nails it where he's like Bongiorno. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it that colonel hans landa speaks so many languages he speaks german he speaks english he speaks french he speaks italian and it's just too much and you're just like this fucking guy won't go away margaretti <laughs> margaretti one more time margaretti oh man dominic it is, coco <laughs> it is so great and you know what's what's funny is um you know you mentioned eli roth uh making that movie in uh grindhouse but mm-hmm. it was actually eli, eli roth got to make a movie inside a tarantino movie and that was the frederick zoiler um uh, feature film that is playing at the art house. He got mm-hmm. to shoot that footage and direct it, which is kind of cool. 
Totally. I think it's so awesome how he does revisionist history in this film. I, I mean, it was, you know, like how gratifying it was that they're just unloading on Hitler and like not even stopping and his face is just getting torn to shreds. So awesome. Uh, the story structure was really great. It was kind of that same nonlinear story structure, the framing and cinematography. I remember the opening shot, the au revoir Shoshana and she's running out the framed window, very akin to Westerns. Um, a lot of Sergio Leone films and stuff. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And again, like I said, Christoph Waltz was amazing. The, the film is so smart too it's this big underlying criticism about Tarantino's violence. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of critics, even Roger Ebert were talking about how excessive Tarantino was with his violence and how he was basically like a petulant child using it. So I think Tarantino upped it a notch on this and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to satirize what, what's going on. And he, you, you just said the Eli Roth film that they had. I mean, that, that was big. The propaganda was huge during world war two. And I think um, he's showing this how films shape people. This is basically his play on that. Uh, That's that kind of subplot about how they need this movie to come out. And Zoila's is this hero because this will give the, the Reich, you know, all this power like, and all this hope, yeah. yeah, all this hope. And, uh, a lot of people, it's literally just him in a bell tower. Just yeah. Murdering. That's, that's all it is. <laughs> and, and they're going crazy. And it's, it's funny that their demise, that all these Nazis, their demise is watching this film that will give them hope. So it's, it's, it's a very funny play by Tarantino. Uh, he's, he does it kind of like how Verhoeven does it in like Starship Troopers and RoboCop where it's just completely over the top, but it's, it's satirized. And I think one of my favorite exclamation points on the film is at the end when they're scalping, um, Hans Landa, Landa, Judith, Judith, (laughs) uh, and a beer bong for the lady. So when they're scalping Landa and, uh, Tarantino looks, or I'm sorry, Brad Pitt and then uh, Ryan from The Office look down and he's like, I think this might be my masterpiece. That was Tarantino telling the audience like, hey, you just saw it. And that was his mic drop. I thought it was so cool. Yeah. But uh, long-winded, Inglorious Bastards is my number two, Justin. Ooh, that is that is high on It is list. my number two. I love that movie. I will watch it over and over again. I own it there on the Blu-ray. I'm going to probably, I don't know if it's on 4K or not, but I'll probably get it streaming somehow. It is uh, fantastic. Yeah. After I kill that guy, you have 30 feet to get to that guy. Can you do it? I have to. <laughs> yeah, I have to. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I love it. That's good stuff. Um, so I actually have Inglorious Bastards at number five, right? Smack dab in the middle. Like an Oreo, um, see? Yeah. Love 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 the movie. It's fantastic. Um, and it is it is a good enough for a number five on this list. But um it's brilliant. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, Dave Edmondson gives it uh, number four. Our buddy Jerd puts it at three. Ken Stoltz gives it a whopping eight. Wow. Yikes. That is interesting. That's uh that's low. Yeah. He, must, uh, he must not have liked it very got much. The, got the apple bottom jeans. <laughs> Books with the fur. <laughs> the low, low, low. <laughs> um, and then Rob. Whew, the uh, the great white north is not kind to <laughs> the inglorious bastard. My home and native land. <laughs> 
Yeah, he um he actually wrote, you know, he just did not enjoy it. Um, I didn't feel that it had anything. This isn't me talking. This is Rob. Uh, it had. <laughs> I'm gonna. Say, I'm not gonna say like he says blah blah blah. I'm gonna say I say blah blah blah. But that's that's him. So he says I didn't feel that it, that it had anything to say or any interesting story to tell. Ooh. Disagree. Um, I felt like it was just a, a vessel for Tarantino to be as gratuitously violent as he possibly could, which is fine if you're doing a movie where that's just an element like the rest of his movies, LOL. But if that's the only thing that the movie has going for it, it's just not as interesting. Wow. I, that is insane to me because did he not? That bar scene is one of the most intense bar like scenes I've ever seen in a film. Yeah, that's like Roadhouse times a thousand. Yeah, that's like when Sam Elliott shows up in Roadhouse. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Karate. Karate. <laughs> be uh, nice. Yeah, Just see, for me, nice. I think in Glorious Bastards, the violence comes second. I think it Agreed. is the tension and the and the conversation that you just don't want to be there. Like, like the skin crawling investigation that is happening with Con- with uh, Colonel Hans Landa's uh, investigations. Um, I I honestly think that it is it is more of 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 conversation first, violence second. When you can make a character's eating habits creepy, like when he eats the strudel and when he drinks the milk, (laughs) you know, you you know, you've done a really good job. Yeah. And he is just awful. Yeah. And she has to sit there with him when he's the one that murdered her family. Yeah. She just has to sit there and take it. Man, she is. She is one. uh, Shoshana is one of uh, the most strongest characters that he has ever made in his movies. She's great. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, it's interesting because this one kind of fluctuates between all of our lists. So I'm curious on on why. I mean, it's to each their own, but don't be crazy, right? Don't be crazy, Rob. And right now, you're, you're being a little crazy. I'm all, I dare say I'm uncomfortable with the amount of craziness that is exuding from your list. <laughs> all right. Do you want to do the next one? Yeah, next one, uh, fast forward to 2012 with Django Unchained. Uh, And for the longest time, I couldn't stop just going Django (laughs) from the song. And uh, this one, exactly. Uh, With the help of a German bounty hunter, a freed slave sets out to rescue his wife from a brutal Mississippi plantation owner. Monsieur Candy. Um, this movie, holy shit, man. Saw it on, on the Christmas of, uh, 2012. Christmas. (laughs) I know that's your favorite. So yes, I love that. I love Darlene love. She is great. Um, holy shit. And we get, we get a twofer with Chris, with Christoph Waltz. Um, we got to see him again in true Tarantino fashion, but this time, Polar opposite. He is a remarkable man. He is a, a doctor. He's a dentist and a, and a bounty hunter. And, and he is very empathetic and sympathetic to what is going on in the South. And he is a, a like it says, he's a German. And so um, he has this certain sophistication that comes with being uh, a European here in the Americas and in, in our barbaric ways. And I think it sets him into this 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 higher class of character is kind of how he's portrayed, right? And um, and he's just delightful, which is a complete opposite <laughs> of what he was in Inglorious Bastards. But uh, holy shit, if I did not love the man in this movie, and and this movie is rough. I mean, we were talking about violence and 
and just uh, an uneasiness and feeling uncomfortable when there are the the fights between the slaves. I hate that the Mandingo fights. Yeah, so and hard. The dogs to and everything. The the whippings, the beatings, um, just the the inhumane torture that is existing. Uh, that that wasn't even that long ago in the grand scheme of things. You know, this is this is a a world that is very close to home, and it is sad and it is hard to watch. And I, it was just a couple months ago where I was watching it, and and I told you I actually I watched the first half, and then when once it got to uh, the Candyland, I had to turn it off. I was like, "Fuck, man, I am I am not in the mood to watch just." this this horror story unfold in front of me you know i was working from i'm working from home and i just had something on the background but it was it's so awful that it was just distracting me and it was it was making me it was like ruining my day <laughs> i was like tarantino you will ruin the day and and he was and i had to i had to stop it and uh it's brutal love the movie um i hold it pretty high up on my list but but holy shit, man, what were your thoughts on, on Django when you saw it? Gentlemen, if you allow me to reach into my pocket, I have a warrant here for the rest of one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I So I saw this movie film in Christmas time. So Christmas of 2012. Uh, it was a it was funny because I was at my I was with my brother and sister in law. We were at his or I'm sorry, her parents house down in Lacey. And we went to the movie theater. This is my first time ever going to a movie theater on Christmas. And I did not know it was a tradition, but apparently it's a tradition. So I was a huge fan of it. It was awesome. But my brother and I really wanted to see Django. So um, I think we won the vote and we went. Uh, it was very odd because there were some kids in the audience. And I was like, whoo, boy, halfway through, not feeling like these kids should be watching this R-rated movie, but I'm also not their parent. So yeah, then you end up with a little Justin Kavanagh when, when, when you do that. When you take them yeah. to those R-rated movies, see? Yeah, that are alive. You're coming with me. Ah. So uh, I absolutely loved this movie. I think uh, Waltz hit it. He knocked it out of the park again. I think um, Jamie Foxx was fantastic in it. Leo was amazing. Sam Jackson was amazing. Uh, I thought it was so, so good. I'm trying to see what I wrote down right here on it. Uh, yeah, I, I just really love... I mean, Tarantino was a huge Western fan, so it was great to see him play around with the genre and i believe this was his first western he had elements of westerns in his films but this was his, his first true western film uh the soundtrack was was fantastic like you were saying i i love the mixture that they used um you had some tupac in there you had some uh rick ross and everything going on and then you had your old you know Django. yeah your old timey western music so it's kind of kind of telling the story as it as it's unfolding it's right great. And uh, highly, highly quotable. I think you and I quote this one very, very often. You know, the had a birthday the other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. My favorite line. Oh, man, there's some cake inside. It's pretty <laughs> I like when when uh, Jamie Foxx is eating and he's like, Samson the champ. Other boy's pretty good. He's just like eating a piece of steak or whatever he is. Uh, just so nonchalant. I think he just knocked out of the park. Carrie Washington. Whoo. Oh yeah. boy, she is uh, she's gorgeous. Yeah. Love her in this. Your wife's name is Brumhilda, <laughs> and um, I love when when King Schultz tells the the story of Brumhilda. You know, and that's when he realizes that he needs to help him. Walton Goggins is great in it too. Billy Crash. Yeah, he's yeah. calling him Django. The Django. <laughs> James James Remar is good in this movie. Uh, yeah, 
just so good top to bottom uh, for in terms of my ranking on this. Uh, this one is number four for me. This is right above Pulp Fiction. This one was hard because I, I really love this film and it could easily be number one for me. That's just, you know, it's interchangeable. But you, you held a gun to my head and I, you're like right at the top 10 list. Nerd. I'm not a gun guy. Yeah, it was your it was your two guns, your your super soak your super soakers over there. <laughs> triple uh, digits, triple digits, baby. <laughs> yeah. what, what about you? How high is this on your list or that's low? Three for me. It is ranked number three. It's a lot. That's high. That is high. Or yeah, it's amazing. I love it. I mean, again, it uh, it has some very hard to watch moments. Oh, dude. But, yeah. Um, I mean, that is a very ugly time with some very ugly people. And um, even like the conversation where where they're going to do the lynch, it's like Don Johnson and and um, uh, was the one guy Jonah Hill and such. Yeah, Jonah Hill. I'm not doing this. <laughs> uh, uh, you know when they're talking about not being able to see while they're wearing the mask. I mean, it's so absurd. I can't see fucking shit on this. <laughs> now look, we all agree <laughs> it was a nice gesture for them to do the mask, but maybe next time, you know, this time we won't wear them, and then. You know, we'll make it better. The one guy gets all butthurt because his wife was making them all. He just leaves. He's like, well, fuck you guys. That's <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh, jeez. Love it. Um, Dave Edmondson put Django at six. Jeff Muller does uh, Django at a whopping five right in the middle. Um, where are we at here? Ken also puts it at a five. And Rob puts it at a five. Right down the smack dab in the middle. So I'm, where did you put it again, Zach? I put, it at, I put it at four. So I wonder, I mean, I think I can explain for Rob. I don't want to speak for uh, Jeff, Ken, and Dave, but um, I think with Rob, it might've been the violence. Uh, he might've just really liked the Western, but you know how he was talking about it felt gratuitous with the violence for Inglorious Bastards. That's, I'm just assuming. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but maybe he liked the story better for Django because it was kind of a revenge story. You know, akin. But I mean, to Kill Bill Volume One's extremely violent, and he has that at number two. But I guess yeah. it's a different kind of violent. Like, um, you know, it's a fast-paced, like you said, revenge story where where the hero is doing the the violence, and uh, it's presented in a way like those old samurai movies. And um, you know, it's kind of fun. Like when it goes to black and white, it's because she pulls out the eye, and it change. All of a sudden, the camera changes, right? Um, and then it's it's almost like a like a ballet when she's killing everybody, um, whereas Django is is very much in your face when you see like flesh tearing and blood oh spilling. It is uh, like with the whips. Um, it's just hard to watch, man. It's it's gross. Yeah, it's uh, just just the the shooting and and the ridiculousness. I mean that that scene when Django escapes the caravan or whatever or no i'm sorry when he after king schultz dies and he has the shootout with all his his homies in monsieur candy's house uh that was pretty incredible that tupac song is playing in the background yeah, that's pretty good i think i might actually watch that movie tonight it's just like <laughs> this is this is like it's such a good movie i love it but yeah um okay cool well uh moving on uh we have where are we hey okay boy. Uh, we're, we're at the home stretch. So in 2015, there was a little independent movie on the Sundance circuit called Hateful Eight. Uh, I'm just kidding, obviously. That movie was was huge, uh, you know, highly anticipated because it's Tarantino. All he had to pretty much do was was sneeze and people would go see it. Uh, this movie 
was long. So in the dead of a Wyoming winter, a bounty hunter and his prisoner find shelter in a cabin currently inhabited by a collection of nefarious characters. I like it. Written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. This was his ninth film. Um, is that accurate? His ninth film? Yeah. Even though it was eight, Hateful Eight. I thought it was, <laughs> for some reason, I thought it was his. his no, it's his ninth, because then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is tenth. Hollywood! Uh, yeah, so this movie, um, what what can I what can I say about this film? So I I am a huge fan of the movie Clue. I love mysteries. I love thrillers. I love the whodunits where you're trying to guess. And going into it, um, I was expecting that throughout the entire thing. I was I was getting ready for it. Um, I saw this in 2015 uh, at this really awesome engagement in Seattle. Uh, so Tarantino had these special road shows. Uh, do you remember road shows, Justin? Yes. He brought it back. Uh, we got to see it in 70 millimeter, I believe, uh, at this theater in Seattle. And uh, it was great. So we saw the full three hour version of it, three hour some odd version of it with a matin or with a intermission in the middle. So I saw it with uh, three of my other friends and we went out during intermission and we discussed it, what we kind of thought was going on. Uh, the split in the film was right after they have, I think the four guys kind of pinned out It's Sam Jackson Goggins and uh, Kurt Russell. We see that we haven't seen uh, the poisoning yet or anything like that. And we haven't seen the Channing Tatum reveal, but that was uh, where it kind of split, pretty sure. Anyways, I got a cool commemorative book about it. I still have it. I look at it every once in a while. It was really, really great. I thought the dialogue was fantastic. It was a lot slower of a film for me than I was used to with Tarantino. This was definitely a talky piece, and I wasn't immediately enamored by it. I really liked it, but I wasn't immediately enamored by it. Uh, I think the score was incredible. So is Ennio uh, Morricone, who won an Oscar for it. I believe he was like 80 years old. He actually just recently passed away, which was very sad. Yeah, like two or three weeks ago. Yeah, um, but he was a legend. Uh, he did so many Westerns, uh, the scores for those. He also did uh, some other Western or some other scores for uh, Tarantino. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he did the score for The Thing. When you when you know the twist of this film, it doesn't necessarily make the rewatchability better. Uh, so it's kind of a bummer on 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 that sense when you kind of know everything that's happening i was expecting more twists and turns and i honestly think reservoir dogs had more twists and turns uh, the thing i think i liked the most about this was just all the characters and how developed they were uh and just it this this movie grew on me over time i mean even even you and i talking about it it grew on me over time what about you what when was the first time you saw hateful eight <laughs> uh i saw it in 2015 i was uh going through my huge bout of depression and and I remember just laying on the sofa watching it from start to finish and I was just I was blown away like I actually really liked it um I I can't stand the uh ridiculous amount of the use of the n-word in this movie um it, it makes me cringe every time um but I was in a very dark place when I saw this movie and uh I was even more sad when when Kurt Russell, <laughs> when John Ruth had a had a, a quick end. That was really awful. Like the poisoning was bad, uh, and then getting shot, obviously. But um, the thing about this movie is, I really wish the narrator didn't exist. Um, I don't think that we should have been told that the coffee was poisoned. I think we should have got a shot of it, but I don't think that we should have 
stopped the movie to show something else happening in the background. I think that there was a better way of, of doing that, which I think is just a really weird choice on his part to, to actually have that. And I, I would love to understand why he felt the need to have that narrator role. Um, doesn't make sense to me. I think it would have been better if we either didn't see the coffee get poisoned and we have to piece that together. I think it, I think it insults the, uh, the viewer's intelligence if he's drinking coffee and then all, and the way that she's looking at him, uh, I think it puts it together. And then when, when, when Obi starts puking and, and Walter is just, just Walter is just holding on to his cup. <laughs> he's just looking around at everyone puking up blood and he doesn't understand what's happening. And then it's, you know, Major Marquis Warren telling him, Hey, put that shit down. You know, you're going to die. Um, I think that that's telling enough. I don't think that we need to see the poisoning, but I mean, that's just me. I, I think that's my only real negative on the movie is, is the, the reveal of the poison. I agree. So the movie picked up, like I was saying with the intermission, it picked up the second half where Tarantino was doing his voiceover and he was explaining what happened. He's like, you know, what we did miss was a poison the coffee. I agree. It felt very out of place and it took me away. And I think that's why I was upset with this movie for rewatchability. Uh, but that being said, when Netflix decided to do the uh, extended version of this into a four part mini series, basically episodic mini series, I really enjoyed that. It was nice. It felt like this movie could. I mean, there were some extra scenes added. It felt like it could have been uh, curated exactly for this type of, of setting. But I, I agree with you that the, the voiceover thing just felt weird. It, it, it didn't really work for me. And I. I didn't I think it was a little too predictable in the sense of all of them being banditos together. I kind of wanted a bit more mystery behind it. Right. But the payoff at the end was excellent. In my opinion, I think it was just really well done. Channing Tatum's head getting exploded was incredible. I uh, was not expecting that. You know, I Walt, Walt, Walton is it Walton Goggins? Yeah, Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins was so great in this movie, and yeah, Mannix, Chris Mannix, <laughs> newly appointed sheriff of Red Rock. Holy shit, he is so funny. His very, expressions very just are are worth their weight in gold. And oh, totally. He is so great. I mean, every everyone in this movie is is pretty awesome. Um, but once 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 um. M- Warren and and Mannix are on the same side and trying to piece it together. It is just amazing. I think I think once once the coffee thing happens and we get the flashback of of the strangers coming to uh, uh, Minnie's haberdashery, um, I think the entire thing is just is just unloaded on us for that last like hour and a half. The whole build up, the slow burn. Um, I think it's one of those things where if you can make it through the slow burn of of hateful eight, then you can handle any slow burn ever again, because the, assuming it has a payoff, which this movie very much does the whole, the whole first uh, 90 minutes. You're just like, what is going on? This movie sucks. I don't get it. And then, and then it just cranks it up to 11 and you can't turn away. And I, I fucking love that. I think it's so great. And interestingly enough, I've seen Pulp Fiction a billion trillion times. And I am of the opinion that I have, it's quite possible I have seen Hateful Eight the second most amount of times uh, next to Pulp Fiction. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> the president. <exactly. laughs> Abraham, the, the president? 
<laughs> we, like, well, you, so you and I, you and I quote this film all the damn time. And for me, I mean, my, my buddy Mark is a huge Tarantino fan. We quote it too. And, you know, we're like, she doesn't like dogs in Minnie's haberdashery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Mexicans. Mexicans. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's uh, it's so good. And I just, I mean, like, again, thinking about this one, I want to watch it. I just don't have four hours or three and a half hours to sit it's down and watch one. it. It's, it's a yeah. very long one. Yeah. But um, I, I really did enjoy this movie. So uh, ranking wise, I put this movie at number six on my list. Oh, that's good. That's respectable. I actually have it at eight. Um, as a mo- again, I've, this is probably my second most watched Tarantino film, but it is it is an eight. I think for me, the watch the rewatchability is amazing. I love the little conversations. I love the storytelling, and I certainly love the Who Done It. Uh, Mr. Dave Ebenson puts Hateful Eight at number eight. Um, Jerd puts it at seven. Ken puts it at I don't even it's ten. That's his least favorite. Oof. Did he uh, even watch the movie? I know, right? <laughs> and then and then Rob puts it at number four. So he he likes it a lot. He likes those talkies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk, talkie films. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And then finally. The last one on the list came out just last year, just before I moved, actually. Um, we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. A faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. And, of course, this ultimately has a very interesting tie-in to the... Uh, Manson family murders to uh, Sharon Tate, which once we get to that moment in the film where it starts giving us um, sort of a time stamp on this day. So we know it's coming. It's one of the hottest days of the year. And there's just all this buildup. And uh, it it is unsettling. Uh, Tarantino has has mastered the the the, the unsettling approach in, in motion picture shows. And I remember I saw this by myself in the theater and I was just on edge. I, I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be terrible. I don't, I don't want to watch this. I, I can't believe that I put myself through this. Um, and then it becomes a, an alternate history film and, and the, the murder doesn't happen. And instead we are getting, we get this, this treat <laughs> of, of a night and I have never seen anything like it. And it blew me away. And, and I love this movie so goddamn much again, another hangout movie. It's, it's Leo and, and Brad Pitt and almost every single scene minus a few Sharon Tate scenes uh, with uh, Marco Robbie. I agree. I saw this movie uh, back 2019. So last year, I so I really enjoy seeing movies alone in the theaters. Uh, you know, I like going with friends, but I, I really enjoy like a matinee after work or something where it's uh, a little less expensive. And also I can just kind of uh, tune everything out and just watch a movie, you know, on, on a giant screen. So I was anticipating this film because, I mean, at this point, you know, I'm a huge Tarantino fan. I think he can do no wrong. And when I first saw it, I really liked it a lot but I needed to process it. And I remember speaking with you on it and you were kind of lukewarm. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but how I gathered it from you was you were kind of lukewarm, but I don't know if we've truly discussed it per se. Um, but I think since then 
in subsequent conversations, we both have been like, oh my God, it's, it's, it's so good. Uh, this movie, like you're saying, if you knew about the Manson murders and or the Sharon Tate murder, I should say, the entire film is, is racketed with tension. The spawn ranch scene with Brad Pitt and every, and every, everything leading up to that, yeah. just with him being like, I'm going to check, you know, on my friend, I forgot his name. I'm sorry, Bruce Dern, but I, I think that that was brilliant and so, so good in, in the sense of how you can tell a story and present it on screen. And it's not up to Tarantino to teach people about history. Uh, so I think some people who maybe didn't like it, who didn't really understand the Sharon Tate stuff, they didn't get as the foot tapping tension like I had. I mean, I was sitting there tapping my feet every time they showed Margot Robbie, who was amazing, by the way, as Sharon Tate. Uh, I was tapping my foot because I'm like, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Just get it over with. I don't want to see this. It's going to be awful. You know, they're showing her as pregnant and it was just disgusting to watch. But it's almost this redemption at the end. And it was Tarantino's way because he, you know, he he lived during that time in L.A. And he that was the death of the of the golden age of Hollywood for him when you couldn't lock your or you couldn't leave your door open anymore. So for him, that was a very, very monumental moment in his life and just a tragic moment. So this was him being like, you know, F off, dude. Sure. So he was he was like six years old in 1969. He moved from Tennessee to L.A. around that time. And he still remembers like what it was like to to have the golden age. And I mean, even him being a, a lover of classic film, I mean, he kind of retroactively appreciated that a lot. Right. So, and then Kurt Russell yeah. was like a. Yeah, a consultant on that era because Kurt Russell's been working in Hollywood his entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is pretty great. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I, I think it's, um, it, it's great because this is a culmination of Tarantino's works, in, in my opinion. This is him showing aging Hollywood and these aging actors. So you got Rick Dalton at the end of his career. Yeah, Rick fucking Dalton. So uh, you have Cliff and Rick, and their sim- their their relationship was just so great. It was almost like a buddy film. Uh, there wasn't much going on in this movie. If you strip it down, it, it was a long film with not much of a plot. But <laughs> yeah, hey, movie man. <laughs> but but I I I I think I'd like to to elaborate more on it. I think that what Tarantino was kind of showing was that kind of his cathartic way Tarantino was basically saying he was Rick Dalton he was coming to terms with his relevancy and if his films are obsolete and that's what that's what Rick Dalton was you know he's this big star on Bounty Law and then he does all these bit roles where where he's being superseded by someone else by a new up-and-coming actor and then this this new wave director moves in next to him and all he's thinking about is how do I get to that pool party to be part of that to get my a resurgence in career and it's actually funny because Coincidentally, Tarantino does a lot of that with his films. So you look at like John Travolta, who had a resurgence with his career through Tarantino and like Tim Roth and uh, Pam Greer. Those actors, they all benefited from Tarantino. There's a lot of Tarantino in Rick Dalton himself. We see similarities in 2020 where these small kind of new wave independent directors are are dying out and and studios right now because are you familiar with what happened um in the golden age of cinemas like with paramount and um, mgm and that kind of stuff how they had actors under contract like yeah. you were okay so once that freed up and they were able to go to other studios to work then it just kind of went it went crazy but as TV rose, as the viewership in television rose, movie watching went down. So, so studios weren't willing to take risks or gambles on smaller films. 
they wouldn't try these independent movies or these these uh, creative films that were, were coming out. They would go for the big budget movies like Lawrence of Arabia or Gone with the Wind. You know, they go for that kind of stuff. And because they think it's a proven commodity. And you and I had this conversation about video game films where you're not going to take a chance with an original idea on something. You're going to be like, Mario Brothers is good. A good movie and a good game. So there we go. Let's make a giant movie out of it. Studios weren't doing that. When Tarantino started, it was the opposite. He started and people were giving him opportunities. And we saw that grow throughout the years. But then what we're seeing now and correct me if I'm wrong, or if you disagree, we're seeing more of the big blockbusters being made. It's not as many independent films that are grossing a ton of money. I mean, you still get independent movies, but they're not being seen by as many audiences they used to be, as many audiences as they used to be. Um, we're, we're seeing all the Marvel movies and all these other big, big wig movies. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I'm a Marvel fan, but I'm, I'm sick and tired of, of them. They're just all over the place. Basically, he's kind of saying that it mirrors like what happened with him and maybe maybe directors like him can't survive in Hollywood anymore where they're creating these original ideas for film. But I don't know. Um, that's kind of how I feel about it. Do you, do, you, do you think anything differently to kind of what I was saying? I know it was all over the place. I apologize. So but. I never compared it to Tarantino. I always thought it was interesting where Rick Dalton is his career is winding down. Sharon Tate's is ramping up. Mm -hmm. She had a fun role in a movie. Um, You know, she's, she's with um, a very high profile A-lister. She's pregnant. Uh, Her life is blossoming into stardom, whereas his is winding down. And when he comes to terms with that in the trailer, when he has his meltdown, that's like one of my favorite scenes in like the history of movies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I feel like we've all been there in some way where we have been just so disappointed in ourselves, where we ended up and and how we got there. And and in that moment, you just have this, uh, you know, this this epiphany where you're just like, that's it. You have your aha moment you're like this is what I need to change. And and two seconds later, he just immediately like falls right back into it. Uh, but it's so great. Like, I just love that. And. Um, I, I like that parallel of, 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 of Rick Dalton's career winding down, Sharon Tate's blossoming, and then the two meet in the middle where um, these horrible human beings come over to do the devil's business, as, as he says. <laughs> yeah. I know. No, something stupider than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like text like, or something like, like that. <laughs> he's like, I'm here to do the devil's business. Ah, dumber than that. (laughs) Dumber than that. So, and I I think it's, it's something to be said about this movie uh, because a lot of the criticism that people had for it was that there was no plot. It was just a three hour long movie about these three different parallel lives and nothing really happens until the end. But I think it's interesting because I, I also think it's a commentary on all of those critics who claim that Tarantino glorifies violence because he presents this film like with no real plot or violence. I mean, there's minimal violence at that. I mean, at Spawn Ranch, that's about as close as we're, we're getting to this is going to be Tarantino mm-hmm. until the brutal end. The final 20 minutes of the film is just utterly brutal. And we're like, there we go. That was his valve that he released. And then honestly, I felt like it was his middle finger to the critics being like, you didn't think I was going to put violence in this, but fuck you. Like, here it is. You wanted something toned down, so I made it squeak clean almost, minus some swears. Then he added his his gory 
finale, let's call it. But I don't know. I, I just feel like saying something doesn't have a plot just seems like weird to me. I mean, this is a movie where it is literally about a man who is coming to terms with the end of his career. Uh, he doesn't want it to end. He's a very fragile and shallow man. Like he's crying in the car, you know, like he had, he had this amazing show and you know, all like that it's over. You know, he is no longer the star. Now he is the guest heavy on a show each week and he's, you know, scrapping for work. And I just think that it's, it's relatable in a sense that, you, you know, there's this unknown and when is my time going to be up? And I just feel like because this movie is, there's like two days where that whole story is taking place. And then there's a time jump and then it's the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And so really we get three, three days really of, of movie is really all it plays out to be. And, and I don't need anything more than that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need some sort of beginning, middle, and end in in a in a movie to to justify the plot that may or may not be there. For me, it was more of a character story, and and how they can either choose to to accept their defeat or do something about it. And I feel like we've all been there in some way. You know, I had my lowest of lows, and I was able to claw myself out, and now I'm living my best life. So. I mean, everyone's different. We all have our own, our own privilege or whatever, and and that's that's sad and true. But I think in the case of this movie, it is literally um, both of them. Even 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 Cliff, because if 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 Rick Dalton isn't working, then neither is Cliff. Mm-hmm. You know, the two are they go in tandem. They've they've been inseparable for years, and and it's sad. It is a sad story that has a very hopeful ending. Where's your little jalapeno pepper daughter? Bring her down here and tell her to play a song. Chili Give her pepper daughter. Chili yeah. Pepper daughter. yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. And and yeah. the thing is, you know, he gets the greatest advice ever from from a little child. Yeah. He's talking to this little girl who who is just wiser beyond her years. She's an old soul and just has shit figured out. And, and sometimes you just need to talk to people to, to get there. And, and it could be a stranger on a train. It could, it could be a, a urinal stall buddy. It could be at the trough. I mean, who knows where these interactions are going to happen. But, but once, once someone puts an idea in your head or maybe steers you in the right direction because you were just looking at things differently, uh, there's a change can happen. A metamorphosis can take place and, and you can grow from it. And I think that is a beautiful thing. Poor Easy Breezy. Um, so I actually ranked this movie at number two. What about you? All right. So this is my number one Tarantino movie. Um, and and I think, Justin, that this film, I know it's bold for me to say that, but I think that this film is going to be analyzed uh, 10 years from now uh, <laughs> by film students I, for just all the conventions it uses and, and how to how to make a freaking movie. I mean, it's going to be their Pulp Fiction for you, if that makes any sense. Sure. Like you, you were saying how you saw Pulp Fiction and you're like, I want to make movies. I think people are going to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and be like, I want to make movies. It's not discrediting Pulp Fiction by any stretch of the imagination. But for me, I just really, really loved this movie and it sat with me a lot longer. And I've probably seen it six different times. I'm not great at remembering things like you just because I don't got to. 
a good brain like you do. But um, <laughs> but I, I really, yeah, I really, really love this movie. It's highly quotable. Whenever you say a quote, I usually know uh, that it's it's from here if, if you say it. And then I just imagine like Leo drinking a margarita out of a blender and it's just hilarious. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, yeah. And this, you know, we're talking about uh, Monsieur Candy. Monsieur Candy. Uh, Two two movies, man, and uh, almost in a row. You know, Django, obviously, and then um, Once Upon a Time. He is just he is dynamite, man. He's so, so dynamite. Good. Yeah, he's he's arguably the best actor of our generation. Arguably, you would argue that. I would argue it. I mean, I think he is, but I mean, there are people who don't really like him. Not his cup of tea. So I know. Um, Dave Edmondson. He put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood smack dab in the middle at number five. Uh, Jeffrey put it at where is that one? Eight. He oh, put Joe. it. He put it at eight. You know that's really interesting. Um, I wonder if he thinks it was maybe too slow or something along those lines because he put both Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time at yeah. uh, seven and eight. Hula hoops and Pac Man <laughs> video games. <laughs> Ernest Borgnine. He was in the Wild Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He yeah. died. Spoiler alert. I know. And then uh, Ken put it at number seven. Uh, but again, like I was saying, I feel like this movie will get greater with time. So Ken, keep watching it every year. Watch it twice. And then our buddy Rob put it at number eight. So he put it up there high. I asked him why. And or I'm sorry, very low. I asked him why. And he said, you know, he put it low because I just didn't find it especially engaging. It plotted from scene to scene with very little direction or even sense that it knew what direction it was going in. And I hated in asterisks the break with history twist. The one thing I did love in Asterix in the movie, though, was the entire sequence when Brad Pitt was at the Manson family ranch. So the Spawn Ranch, the tension in the entire sequence was phenomenal. And I agree with him in that. I just feel it's interesting that he didn't like the the twist in history. But again, he didn't like Inglorious Bastards either. Right. So <laughs> what can yeah. you do, right? Oh, everyone's different. So that's it, man. That's yeah. that's all I have on, on on that matter. That's all I have to say about that. Hell yeah. Um, so quick quick recap. For me, it was uh, Death Proof, Jackie Brown, The Hateful Eight, Kill Bill Volume 1, Kill Bill Volume 2, Inglorious Bastards, Reservoir Dogs, Django Unchained, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then a number one, Pulp Fiction. And then for me, really quick, it was Jackie Brown, Reservoir Dogs, Death Proof, Kill Bill Volume 2, The Hateful Eight, Kill Bill Volume 1, Django Unchained, Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, and at number one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right. Well, that was quite a podcast. Yeah. Hours. That's okay. <laughs> I, I had a good time. I had a good time talking about them with you. Again, we could we could do an episode on each one of these films, and I don't think we would be upset. We would have a ton to talk about. Our listeners might. It was a giant stroke job of how much we love <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I apologize for that. I mean, I can understand why people just don't buy into his brand. But for me, I think he is one of my favorite directors and I will always see any movie that he ever puts out. I agree. Even his uh, ill-fated Star Trek movie. I would see that in a heartbeat. In a New York minute. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine like Sam Jackson just like dropping F-bombs about being beamed somewhere. Beam me up. I'm tired of these motherfucking beams on this motherfucking starship. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, geez. Too many snakes on the starship. Yeah. Uh, Anyhow, that was that was great. Love Tarantino. He is he's he's a a metaphorical god for me. Um, I will watch anything that he puts out there, uh, including Jackie Brown, which I need to give another shot, apparently. So 
Well, that's all I got. You want to you wanna take us home tonight? Sure, I will do that. Thank you for listening to another fun and festive episode of the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. Remember to follow us on the Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at ZachDale60, and at EdgyArmo. Special thanks to uh, at the Mighty Jerd, at StoltzKen, at Rob Digifluid. Actually, it's just at Digifluid. We just call him Rob Digifluid. And then uh, and Mr. Dave Evanson at uh, Snacky underscore Cakes for your feedback and your list. They were definitely interesting, and I do think it's fantastic that so many of us thought Pulp Fiction was number one. Uh, maybe it's an age thing. I don't know. Uh, but we're all pretty much in the same age bracket. That rank it that way. Um, either way um, thank you again for listening you are the best remember to check out the other podcasts that we have we have of course the Geek Legacy podcast and the Pixelated podcast both a lot of fun you have an amazing week and uh, we will talk to you next time thank you so much yes they deserve to die and I hope they burn in hell yeah that's the wrong wrong movie (laughs) 